Monday night edition of the pod. No NBA Finals basketball to talk about tonight, but getting into our first real hardcore draft prep session here with Marvin Bagley the third. We previously did Michael Porter, but that was a little bit more truncated due to the lack of film that really was available on him. So I, I want to start with just my initial impression of Bagley, which is he is a very good example of what he is, especially offensively, but I'm not sure that what he is is that valuable anymore in today's NBA. I'm abused that that's your takeaway because uh, it's mine similar, but another related point to that is how little of Marvin Bagley we saw that I think is directly relevant to what I would want him to be in the NBA. So as an example of that, he had 24 offensive possessions that were in pick and roll, meaning as a screener, that resulted in a shot or a turnover. And he had 23 defensive possessions the entire season. He played in 33 games for Duke. And so we just don't have enough, you know, for certain parts of it. I'm not saying, you know, that he's going to be bad at those things, but it's also weird to have like to have film on a guy, but not have as much relevant film as I would like. Yeah, and he's also a guy that we, you and I at least, did not get to see in other settings because he reclassified. You know, we never got to see him at the Hoop Summit. Obviously, we're not junkies about this. It's not like it would have been impossible to see him live before this, but we don't go to like UIBL or, or stuff like that. Still, I think I have pretty high hopes for him as an offensive player, but the question is, at what position is that most valuable? And I think very clearly the answer to that is center, right? If he's going to be, he's got great rise, quick second jump, gets up for some really nice alley-oops. You know, I think he will he will be a very solid role man just because of his ability to get up for alley-oops. And also we actually even saw him showcase a little bit of pick and pop for three as well. Uh, the, the shooting is one thing that's a big question about him, uh, but he shot it very well on a limited number of, of attempts 23 out of 58 from three so 39.7 percent but only a 63 percent free throw shooter nonetheless his jumper looks pretty decent to me also showed the ability uh, to hit a couple of face-up jump shots which i think is important as well for him to be able to work as a one-on-one scorer so i i think that's good i think that he can be a a pretty versatile scorer uh and he's got a lot of athleticism he can play hard on occasion you know he's not wasn't you know a super high effort guy but he also played was able to play a ton of minutes which you don't see from a lot of big guys as well you know he's playing games like 37 minutes a game in college which for big guys it is not that much um yeah i don't know where do you think he is as a shooter right now his mechanics for a guy his size seem pretty solid you know it's and he's confident whether he's good at it or not as a pull-up guy is interesting like the pull one of the plays that stuck out to me and i actually was one of the few bagley moments i saw live when they played against texas it was a tie game with you know 15 seconds left in the shot clock so last possession you know shot clock off of regulation and bagley has i think it was texas's power forward on him it was not mo bamba maybe bamba had fouled out i can't remember and bagley just kind of dribbles into a pull-up and while i am frustrated that he didn't work to get anything better than that there is some value in having enough confidence in your jump shot to do that there's judgment questions of course but that and you, you mentioned the 23 of, of 58 on threes i'm sure some people point to that 40 percent is a really good rate he also talking about sample size only took 21 long twos i'm using the stepian shot charts for this seven of 21 on those so in total 38 percent on jump shots is i think a, f- a fair number you you could use there 
And as you said, 63% from the free throw line. So I think it's okay. I don't think he's going to be you know, necessarily the next Miles Turner. But I do think that his confidence and just that working at it, you know, being in an NBA system where they will be now so much more supportive of it, that he can get to the level where defenders, when they see him out there, will want to be out there. And that's really beneficial, especially if he's the tallest guy on the floor, presumably playing center. So he's being talked about as a top five pick. He's been linked to the Atlanta Hawks, who we're going to talk about their offseason after this. To me, to live up to that lofty standard he's got to be a guy who can really create one-on-one uh, with the ball in his hands if he's just kind of all right pick and pop can roll to the basket that's like a valuable offensive player but given his defensive limitations which we'll get to you know i think he really needs to be a dominating offensive player and i think there are some chances that he can get there probably most impressive for me other than just his ability to elevate around the rim is his first step i think his first step is very good it, even a lot of times because he would play in two big alignments with wendell carter which is part of the reason why we didn't get to see him as much as a role man as we probably would have liked he was able to face up the jump shot is enough of a threat especially if he can refine it to where you have to get out at him and you know he can shoot over guys as well uh, with that size that he could put the ball on the floor and blow by guys and get to the room you know he, he can be a guy who really you have to double team or who can is going to score on you you know that's kind of i think and i don't see him really as a great like back to the basket post-up guy i think he's more of a kind of catch the ball at 17 feet turn and face drive to the rim kind of post-up guy and he can go either direction off the dribble but the problem is that he has absolutely zero right hand whatsoever and i've talked a lot of times and it's lefties most often maybe even almost exclusively that i'll use this term with d'angelo russell is another guy like this for example i say that he plays with his left side forward and that most of the time when he has the ball even when he's facing the basket he's kind of turned in almost like a closed stance with his left foot ahead of his right and so usually guys who just play with that orientation don't have much of a right hand we've seen d'angelo russell kind of struggle to develop it julius randall another guy like that bagley is the same way and, and he doesn't even try to shoot with his right hand like randall and russell at least they kind of had like this idea in their head that like maybe i should try and do this bagley just can't like he'll get separation going to his right and then he just has to bring it right back into the defense and the other problem too is that he doesn't really have a great standing reach eight nine standing reach uh is what he was measured at although it's been a while since that measurement but still it's not going to be especially when you're talking about a center you know center average standing reach is you know nine one or so nine two so he's well below that he's like kind of power forward even maybe a little bit below average for like the best power forwards in terms of his standing reach and only a 7-0 wingspan which again is not amazing uh, for a guy who's his height at 6-11 not getting great extension on his hook shots doesn't get it doesn't really have a high release point on his turnaround so i think that he could be a guy who struggles to score with his back to the basket it doesn't look particularly fluid for him with his back to the basket one thing that i noticed with him was that well i agree with you on his first step just as a mechanical thing i don't really think he has many moves at this point you know there have to be a lot of skill yeah. development with his handle bagley also has the tools 
beyond the handle to be a, a solid grab-and-go guy. There were a couple times where he made good decisions in that context. There was one play against Georgia Tech, I believe it was, where he just got into a really nice spot and got a dunk for himself. And he's... So that ties in with this... What, something that I find absolutely fascinating with Bagley, especially watching him, and I've been watching Aiton and a few of these other big guys kind of interspersed because I'm trying to compare them. And so with Bagley... I think he has a he just consistently runs around 80 to 85% of capacity. And that's super weird because normally like there there there're different kinds of variation. And so you don't see that many possessions where he's just flying even though he can. But his 80 to 85% effort it makes him faster than damn near every other big guy that plays in college basketball. So it's this weird thing of like he's doing enough to still look good, but you can tell that he's not pushing out max exertion. Yeah, and part of that I think was the fact that he was playing so many minutes uh, as well. Um, yes, on this Duke team, and so, so offensively, you know, I'm not sure. He does have a nice spin move. Uh, he can kind of like make some nice plays, kind of ducking under the rim at times uh, on up fakes. But yeah, I would agree with you. I wouldn't say that like his skill level in terms of ability to maneuver around the rim is fantastic. And again, like the fact that he just doesn't get very good extension on his hook shots and then also has no right hand. I think he's a guy, he's always going to shoot a good percentage around the rim because, and he's also like, he'll play physically enough. Like he's not soft, uh, you know, and he gets, got fouled a lot, certainly too. Um, although a lot of those were kind of college basketball, like bailout fouls that you're not going to get in the NBA um so he's always going to shoot a good percentage around the rim because he's just such a good leaper that he'll be able to get up to crush alley-oops he also just in general when he has a chance to dunk it he goes for it hard I really like that about him but not a lot of craft you know not good at getting his shoulder into guys knocking them backwards and creating the space to go up and then when you say you know no extension no right hand it's going to be I think kind of tough for him to finish when he's well contested down there now maybe he can develop that but usually when we see guys it's rare that you'll see a guy who doesn't get great extension on his hook like be able or on his jumper uh, be able to develop that so i'm not sure that he's going to be a great back to the basket guy so really offensively it's going to be either he's a dependent guy you know pick and roll pick and pop which i think he can do quite well but then it's how good is that face-up game gonna be and can you get away too with guarding him with a smaller player you know can he be guarded by you know a Thaddeus Young or or that type of modern combo forward I think that type of player might be able to give him problems and I'm not sure that he's going to have enough back to the basket just power game to be able to really hurt a guy like that a couple other positives I wanted to mention with Bagley, I thought that he did a nice job at moments of making himself available, finding and moving into interior space. And why that was impressive is because he was playing so much with another center. And Carter can shoot as well, so there were times when Carter would be out on the perimeter. And I also like that Bagley did a couple of those early in transition post-ups, which are another way that he can take advantage. I think the other Bagley kind of post-up way that he could do it even with a little bit less game is on switches. If he can, you know, get in a switch, get a, you know, a six foot three guard on him and just kind of, he's not going to use a lot of force to get that guy the basket, but he's so much bigger that I think it could just kind of happen anyway. An offensive comparison for him, if everything works out right, would be like an Anthony Davis type. That's This is offensive only. But he doesn't have the same type of measurements that Davis does in terms of standing reach. He doesn't have that 7'5 wingspan. Um, and he's probably a more developed shooter at this point in time than AD was. If you remember, you know, 
AD basically played center his entire time at, at Kentucky and didn't really take many threes or anything like that but AD obviously has developed into a wonderful shooter I would say even that Bagley has like a better first step than AD does but you know still probably not as good of a finisher around the rim as ad and then the defense is just going to be night and day between those two guys you ought to turn well, to that now actually here we should probably no i have yeah. a couple i have a couple All right, more we'll do things. a read after after so, we're done talking about his offense okay so the other thing i wanted to mention with bagley so the difference also with davis i thought davis's handle was was tighter at, at his age and i know a lot of people talk about that yeah. related to davis bagley's is not bad guard, but it's not bad but it's not bad it's just right. i thought davis's was more of right. a plus than bagley's. if you're asking but him to take two really... dribbles in a row with his right hand that's probably not gonna happen but Right. And the other thing that I liked about Bagley, I mentioned this a little bit before, but it's worth mentioning a little detail. Oh, two more things. So first thing, I thought that his vision as a passer was good when he was looking yeah. for it. So there were times when Bagley would get tunnel vision, and then in those times he would he would do that. But like he had a nice pass to the corner off a post up, and I'm saying they're like, oh, that, that was a good read to be able to make. And Duke had some shooters, so they had those opportunities. The other thing that, that really, oh, there are two more off, that really concerned me with him. I thought that he generally struggled to get to finish over a good solid contest yeah and in the nba you get a lot more of those like that's one of the biggest differences for a four slash five yeah even even with duke system if i could break in there just going to be guys around yeah yeah if i could break in there you know he's one of these guys where you know let's say you've got like a big rim protector right like he catches it in the post and a guy just puts his arms straight up a strong guy and puts his chest onto him well He's not going to be able to just, like, the way his game kind of works, he can't just, like, jump over that guy and get separation and, and drop in a hook shot or, or drop in a little turnaround or, or a slight fadeaway or something like that, right? He kind of leans into the guy with his shoulder and then doesn't get great extension and ends up just, like, kind of looking awkward and he kind of gets bumped off a little bit. Did you notice that as well? I did notice that as well, and it was a significant concern because of where that's going in the league. The other thing I wanted to mention... Oh, two other... So, he... I, I made a point, because I was sitting there when I was watching, like, the full games and everything, and I'm like, oh, he doesn't set that many screens. And then, so I watched all of them. He is an awful screener at this point in his career. Now, that could just be not account, not accountable, you know, the, the, way, the way that his, you know, career has gone. He's been such a highly touted prospect, never really got into that. I think he has the potential to be a decent enough screener. I'm not particularly worried about it, but he has to actually do it. And more, it's, it's that, like, little light shove so I can get to my spot rather than actually trying to create separation for his teammate, which in the NBA is still the primary go-to for most of these actions. You're not doing it to set yourself up. You're doing it to set the other dude up. And that was a concern. The other big one, though, that we should talk about is his offensive rebounding. Bagley had a 13.8 offensive rebound rate at Duke, despite largely playing with another big. That is impressive. And he was also very effective on his putback. So he had a 1.35 point per possession on putbacks, which is very good. Even for that, those are efficient shots. He's very efficient at that. I'm... I'm not even sure. I just don't know yet how that translates. Some of that will be what position Bagley plays, but it is certainly a positive in terms of like showing that he can get around the basket. And because he's a good athlete, I think he will be able to do the idea of, you know, try for it when it's there and then work work hard to get back and beat your guy back if you can't get it. Yeah, and, and I thought that when he gets that offensive rebound, he can just pop right back up with it for a dunk or, or get tip dunks. Like the, that definitely looks really good. Another guy that maybe you could compare him to would be chris bosh another lefty but you know will he become the shooter that chris bosh is you know that's or, or was that's unlikely well, and, I, and i like bosh's post game better too. well it, it was like, interesting because bosh was not 
really like a back to the basket post up guy either. He was much more of an ISO turn and face kind of guy, lefty, using the threat of the jump shot to then put the ball on the floor and get by guys. So I, I think like in that sense, the way in which Bosch was successful, especially if you go back to his Toronto days, is more like what you would hope that Bagley could eventually become. Uh, but again, I think, you know, Bosch wasn't as good of a defender in Toronto. He became that more in Miami. He was able to play center in Miami. But that that was more based on, I think Bosch had more length and a higher standing reach than him. Bagley more explosive probably than Bosch. Uh, but also Bosch just was awesome at moving his feet and he developed great intensity once he played in Miami. So can Bagley get there? I mean, I think it, it's possible that he could become that type of a player and maybe even one who, who's got even more rise than, than Chris Bosch did. And Bosch wasn't an explosive leaper, but he was a solid one, as you'll remember back in his younger days. But that's uh, that's another interesting comparison for him. But it's just the big question now will be his defense. And we'll talk about that right after this from Indochino. I'm trusting Indochino with my wedding. Got a made-to-measure tuxedo from them, currently in process. I went into their San Francisco store to get measured and within three weeks they had sent me the tuxedo and it was just slightly off in the shoulders. I was So I went back in and they're like, you know what, we're going to make you a whole new one because we are going to get this perfect for you. And especially for my wedding, the reason was apparently that I have very good posture and so normally suits kind of are you have your shoulders a little bit further forward for, for most people but because my posture is so good I, I can brag about that um they needed to move the shoulders back a little bit and so they're like yeah no problem we're just going to make you another one like this is what we do it, it's going to be perfect for you and i was really impressed by that level of service meanwhile my groomsmen they've all gone into the Indochino showrooms, they are growing quite a bit. I think they used to have eight North American showrooms. Now they're up to even more. So all my groomsmen actually live in cities where the Indochino showrooms are. So you can go and get measured at the Indochino showroom, or you can measure yourself online, follow their tutorial, and then send in your measurements, and they will send you that suit again three weeks or less. I mean, they, when we first started there at four weeks, they've even improved more than that. And the other thing that's awesome is you're not just walking into the store seeing the fabrics that are on the rack and having to decide they have hundreds of fabrics you can get great shirts there as well every shirt i've gotten from them has fit incredibly well you can customize the size of the lapel you can customize the jacket lining get some cool jacket linings put a monogram on there as well the way to get started with them is that familiar cap space code at indochino.com that'll get you any premium indochino suit for just 379 dollars when you enter that cap space code at checkout that's over 50 percent off the regular price for a premium made to measure suit shipping is free once again indochino.com promo code cap space will get you any premium suit for just 379 dollars plus free shipping make sure you use that cap space code and let them know that you came from us so yeah the, the defense clearly his best offensive position is center right you would love it if he can face up against these slower bigs, pull him out to three. He's got uh, hopefully a good enough jumper that they've got to get out of him and he can blow by him to the rim. I, I th as you mentioned, I thought his passing is not amazing, but I thought that when obvious passes were in front of him, he was able to make them uh, and set up shooters. But what the hell position is he on defense? Yeah, it's a big problem. And it certainly appears there. I'm sure there are others who reported on this at the time that would know better. But it appeared that Bagley's recognition communication 
were a, a significant part in why Duke ended up going to that 2-3 zone for so much of the season. I watched a portion of their game, their last game, the uh, conference tournament game against North Carolina, and basically all they had Bagley doing was standing out there kind of by himself, not really doing a whole lot. And that's a big concern. It's also concerning, even though, yes, he did play primarily power forward, that he basically didn't block any shots. I went through and watched all those, and there were some good signs in there. There was some, like, recovery plays. Most of them were, you know, like, kind of catching guys. Right, yeah. It's these, like... Coming across the lane, the ball's in the air, and just like really like spectacular highlight, just like, you know, knock it into the stands type of blocks. But when he's on ball, he just like cannot affect the guy. Like it's really, yeah. it's really bad. Like it, whether it's his wingspan, his timing, his ability to move his feet to get into position to bother the shots. I mean, and because it's college, like guys would kind of miss some of these shots anyway, but he wasn't getting a good contest, right? Like, I mean, he, we've kind of noticed this on the Twitter NBA show and sometimes I'll even like miscall it where you kind of just have a feel for finishing around the room of like, all right, if this guy is, if there's this well of a contest, this good of a contest, he's, this guy's likely to miss this layup, you know, or, oh, it's not really contested. This is an NBA player. He's probably going to make it. And so sometimes when I, I'll almost call it good or bad based on just how well it was contested, because you can just develop that type of feel for it. And, and you know, every once in a while you're gonna be wrong on that, but it's for Bagley, he is not getting the type of contest, even against college players, that make you think the guy is going to miss this layup. And sometimes just because it's college, they'll miss it anyway. But he's just not able to get his body into position. And that's something that I've found is really, you know, it's length, it's feel. It is very, very difficult to teach something like that. And so I have big time reservations about his ability to protect the rim well enough to be a solid option in conventional pick and roll defense as a center what do you think of him uh, well first of all do you agree with that and second what do you think of him as a potential switch guy I do agree with that in terms of the center I have just gargantuan concerns I do think he could be like a backup five you know in, in those lower leverage circumstances a lot of times teams have less capable guys on the yeah. floor not only at center I think people focus on that but also just the guards that play on second units are usually not as threatening because if they were better, they would start. And so in those circumstances, sure, maybe you could throw them in, throw them in a little bit. And I think more NBA teams should consider that just as a use of resources thing because they could give minutes. I think he'd look good there. But then, so I want to read, this is two sentences because it ties in with what you just said and it also ties in with him as a switch defender. I wrote, does not make opponents feel him enough offensively, moves feet well enough to stay in position, but that position is not good enough. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a good way of putting it. And so that was especially true when he was going against guards. Like when Bagley was defending forwards, you know, guys that are, let's say, six, seven and taller. I thought he did a better job of staying in front of them. The contest problems you brought up were still there. But once you got into the real faster guys, like the, the next level, I think that he has the capability if he really tapped into it, brought more effort to do a better job. But that is not in there right now. And the athleticism gap at the guard positions in the NBA right now is absolutely massive. I mean, there are not just Damian Lillard's popping around college basketball, whereas there, you know, or Jamal Murray, even, you know, he liked Jamal Murray. Part of the reason we liked him so much as a prospect is that he was special and he's really put it together a little bit more in the second year. Bagley had some trouble with those kind of guys and the NBA is full of those kind of guys. Well, and I think also as a switch guy, the lack of length is two problems. Number one, he's not able to really get a good contest uh, on mid-range jumpers or, or three-pointers. And then number two, because he can't really kind of back off and contain, now he's got to get up on guys. If they get past him, now he doesn't have the length to contest from behind for that Clint Capella 
kind of uh, block from behind, which we saw him do a lot of times in the first two rounds if if they did in fact actually get by him and so when you look at who are the best guys as switch defenders among bigs it's usually guys who have a ton of length and that's not necessarily him i mean i think he's you know for a center he certainly moves his feet better than your average center but because of the length issues and the standing reach as well i mean the other thing you'll never see from him either is like good verticality plays at the rim which was in marked contrast actually to his front court mate wendell carter you know he's not you could say, all right, he's quick enough that maybe he can be one of these guys who, even if he doesn't have great length, he can get his chest in front of guys. And he d- just hasn't shown the feel for those type of plays. Like he can come over, make some spectacular blocks on occasion when he can really like load up and jump as high as he can in the air. But most blocks at the NBA level, if you really look at them, don't occur when the big gets to like take a step and just absolutely load up and be a help defender, right? They they occur with the guy getting over there, getting his chest in front, or they're kind of on ball plays where the guy gets challenged and maybe you're, you're not jumping absolutely as high as you can, but you can use your length to get the block. And so those spectacular help side blocks are nice. Those are also the kind of blocks that if you don't get it, you're totally out of position on the defensive glass. Uh, although he is a... a a solid defensive rebounder not really a box out guy but he you know when he really goes after the ball it can be pretty awesome uh, as a rebounder so yeah you just wonder right so maybe if he plays power forward i think he could probably get by you know i don't i don't think there's not that many guys at the power forward position who are just going to kill you though really at this point in the nba if you're a power forward you're just you have to be able to switch you know and i'm not sure that uh, how good he would be at that and then also that just as we talked about totally mutes his offensive advantage if he's got to play at power forward offensively you know we talked about how uh you know his shooting as as a power forward could end up more just average to below average whereas a center it could be a positive and you know uh, most of today's combo forwards and aaron gordon uh, thaddeus young you know i i don't see him being being able to give those guys problems especially you know maybe if he really gets a lot stronger but I don't see him being able to do that early in his career. So it's really his offensive upside is based on him having to play center, but it's just, I'm not sure. Like probably the best option eventually would be him as a center who can switch. I also don't know if he can hold up in post defense, you know, which is less important these days, but still, you know, if you got to guard a Jonas Valanciunas or someone like that, like that's, uh, or Carl Anthony Towns or DeMarcus Cousins, there are those kind of guys, even though it's not as important as it used to be. So that's something I don't anticipate that he's going to be very good at uh, with the low standing reach and not the strongest guy in the world. So yeah, it's just, it's tough. I mean, I mean, and I think maybe my ultimate conclusion is, you know, he's got a lot of offensive upside, as we said, but he's just, he seems like a guy who, you know, maybe he'll average a lot of points, but it's just hard to see him being a centerpiece of some of these teams that are really getting deep into the playoffs. Now, that's fine. There's a lot of teams that don't get deep into the playoffs and still need players and are just trying to, you know, uh, make the playoffs and they need people to score for them and scoring is at a premium. So if you have a big who can score, uh, that's useful and you just deal with it defensively. But it's just, it's hard for me to see how he can be the sort of two-way player eventually that really you know, the highest level of teams have. You brought up the shift from center to power forward in terms of a shooting. I was thinking about it more, though that is relevant, of course, in terms of his handle and also his relative athleticism. Bagley, if he can play center, can, especially if he works, if he runs harder, can just beat those guys down the floor. If he starts playing the four, all of a sudden that 
is way less valuable than it used to be because there are a lot of teams that have guys to get down there. If you can, especially if like let's, you a three is down there, can he beast that guy? You know, a six eight. You know, not not the best of the best pop, small fours, but can he? You know, work his way to a basket there, and that's a, a question that I don't think is definitively answered. And on kind of the applied athleticism point, you talked about his contests, and another related thing to that is I just wrote one of my notes is why aren't his closeouts better? Like, because he he isn't long, but it's just I think that might be partially a recognition issue of like, okay, how close do I need to be when this guy's starting his shot versus how close do I need to be at all that? Maybe you can coach that up a little bit. I think that you can, but it's another kind of concerning sign about his his kind of place within a modern NBA defense. Yeah. By the way, I, I just uh, looked it up. Chris Bosh had a seven three and a half wingspan. Yeah, and again, a guy who. I think moves his feet better than Bagley. Also interesting for Bagley is he doesn't really like, like a lot of skinny guys, he has trouble getting his butt as low as he needs to in a stance. So that's a, a little bit of a problem too. He needs a little bit more hip flexibility. So yeah, I, I mean, I think I'm not going to say like, oh, I wouldn't want to take this guy in the top five because, you know, he has all these physical tools. And I think he can be, you know, offensively, I completely see it. And, you know, I think he does have superstar upside on the offensive end although he it does have a long way to go in terms of his skill development but you know the guy's coming out after his freshman year and he really is a very explosive athlete. he's not like he's not gonna just like dunk on dudes with one hand you know i'm not he doesn't part of why i think you know i'm not sure whether he has smaller hands or just you know isn't comfortable kind of palming the ball and, and like getting good extension whether it's for one hand dunks or you know for hook shots so uh, that's part of the issue with him too i think but i don't know I, we'll see what as we get into the rest of this class but i do have some reservations about taking him that high just because you wonder about i mean we've seen and he's got maybe a little better size than some of these guys but some of the biggest busts in the last 10 years had been basically traditional power forwards you know and, and how many of those guys are really left in the nba at this point like who can't play center you know it's like you got to be a Blake Griffin level of offensive talent at this point to really hold up as a traditional power forward who's not a great three-point shooter or maybe he becomes a great three-point shooter and that makes things easier on offense but uh then of course there are the defensive limitations anything else you want to say on him before we move to Atlanta I uh, just briefly so Bagley is 19 years old he was born March of 99 so he's about a year younger than Mo Bamba and I think six months or so I think it might be 10 months younger than DeAndre Aiden because he reclassified so he is on the younger side but a lot of his issues are not really related to age as much as just what his skill set is and everything else. Oh, I want to bring up another point because I think this can work as the as a bridge of points. Though I think we'll probably have to do a read. Is I didn't watch John Collins at Wake. He wasn't high enough on our list, and Wake was not on my radar last year. But watching John Collins as an NBA player and wondering kind of like how he would fit on a good team is similar to how I feel about Bagley where it's like okay he's certainly good at playing basketball but like what how do you convert this into a, a spot a niche on a good team and that's part of what makes it so funny that Bagley might end up being on on the board for the Hawks is that they're not the same player but they have similar strengths weaknesses and flaws that are you know in terms of fit within the within the league oh I did have a couple other notes here on Bagley I just wanted wanted to get to shut 76 percent at the rim again he's I think he's always going to be a high percentage finisher just because of his ability to get up and dunk the ball uh not only does he not have a great wingspan but he really seems to have trouble transitioning from moving his feet to challenging a jump shot i mean there'll be a lot of plays where you know not only is it just that like his arms are too short 
on the contest, but he's just not even really able to get his hands up as well. If guys cross over and go into a pull up, you know, he can kind of stay in front, but he can't actually transition quickly enough into that challenge. I think his jumper he did have a few bad misses that were just like air balls that were surprising you know that's can always be a little bit of a concern the free throw shooting is a little bit of a concern uh his release is not incredibly fast but as i mentioned you know he had some three pointers for pick and pops i think he shoots a relatively easy ball he should be able to speed up his release i think in time so i i'm of all my concerns about him the fact him never developing the jumper is lower on the list i think you know the, uh, my anticipation would be that he's going to be a guy who if not a knockdown three-point shooter should be able to adequately shoot the nba three in time in the post i mentioned how he really you know on his face-up game he goes either way but he has to bring the ball back into the defense if he goes right in the post it's much more just got to go right shoulder every time he went 35 times to his right shoulder and only 12 times to his left shoulder uh per synergy and and really just no moves at all going left shoulder i mean he's kind of just he'll spin to his left shoulder and then just like almost like he doesn't realize the defense is even there just like kind of try and bring the ball back up through them and because it's college you get bailed out on fouls on those plays but it, it never really looked very good i thought um i thought he competed pretty well in the post like trying to get position you know so uh, against switches you mentioned he had a good feel for finding passing angles to make himself available i thought he ducked in reasonably hard uh worth noting too though that on a lot of these he was guarded by a much smaller player because he was playing next to wendell carter at center not a guy that i see being you know a real bruiser inside you know, he does is listed at 235 which for his height and age and body type is not bad but you wonder whether he can actually get much stronger or, or at least put on more size than he already has uh and i think that's all i had but but really to me it's just you know can he be a primary offensive creator you know if he could be that then i think all right top five is reasonable for him even with the defensive limitations if he's just you know a dependent guy can get some dunks can shoot some threes but you know you're not actually going to throw the ball to him then you know i i'm not sure you want to go there with him uh in the top five yeah and I, i've struggled to place him yet because i haven't watched enough film on everybody else right. yet but it's it's harder to succeed you know it's harder to to make that into a a lockdown rotation player you know somebody who's like okay if they're in the conference finals they, you have to give them 25 minutes a game. You know, like that that's a little bit of a concern for me. As you said, not every team gets to the conference finals. But, you know, before going through a lot of these other guys, that is a concern for me with him. All right, well, if you want to see Marvin Bagley wherever he ends up next season, the easiest and fastest way to do that is with our friends at SeatGeek. They save you time and they save you money. First of all, they aggregate ticket selling sites together. So you don't have to go to a bunch of different places anymore. That's number one. Number two, perhaps even more time-saving, is they rank every ticket based on value. So you can look in the section you want to be in, and you don't have to worry now, oh yeah, this seat is 10 rows behind, but it's uh, also $17 cheaper, so which one is a better value? They'll just tell you, look for that big dark green dot. The darker green, the better. Click on that, and you can trust their algorithms. I've certainly found them to be quite accurate. I, I got a great deal on tickets I don't buy a lot of tickets to NBA games because uh, we have press passes. But when I want to take my fiance or something, I, I certainly use SeatGeek, and we got a great deal for a Bucks Wizards game last season. I was sitting in like the fourth row, like hundred bucks a ticket, which was a, a fantastic deal. They also guarantee 
every purchase so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So make them your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Download that SeatGeek app, enter promo code CAPSPACE. Easy to remember, about to talk about CAPSPACE for the Atlanta Hawks. Today, that's the SeatGeek app. Enter promo code CAPSPACE for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase and use that CAPSPACE code. Let them know that you came from us. I guess because they've been linked to Bagley and they had the number three pick, just briefly, you know, you talked about it a little bit, but I'm not sure that Bagley is a great fit with John Collins. But I also might say that if you really believe that Bagley is the guy, that John Collins isn't going to be someone who's like so awesome that I'm like, oh, we can't, we're going to like draft around John Collins. Exactly. I, I think that's really where I would go with it. And the Hawks are in this weird place. I The offseason preview, I just put it up at The Athletic. I thought that would be a nice little piece of synergy. That's the one that went up today. I talked about how the Hawks have young talent. They have, you know, Torian Prince as well and all these other guys. But to me, none of them are so good that they should really preclude a team from taking the best available prospect. Yeah, I agree. Now, uh, there aren't really point guards being talked about in this range. Dennis Schroeder had those comments in the German media about how he wouldn't kind of wouldn't mind being traded uh, although he picked a couple of unrealistic destinations one of them was Milwaukee which was I thought was pretty hilarious um but yeah I mean if you really look at this team certainly they're not ready to compete Mike Budenholz are left I think in part because they're in the midst of this big rebuild right now Travis Schlank clearly sold Tony Ressler on the idea that they just needed a little bit of pain here to rebuild they had been in the playoffs for over a decade despite only one conference finals appearance so you clearly got to go best player available in the draft they desperately need some kind of shot creation on this team you know it, it does have a kind of the feel that Dennis Schroeder is not going to be a part of the next great Hawks team despite really only being 24 and on a you know an okay-ish contract Kent Bazemore is probably they're probably going to move on from him pretty soon it, I wouldn't wouldn't shock me if they end up trading him so you've got Prince around, you know, he's two years in and will be extension eligible next summer. He's a guy who I think can be a solid 3 and D type of player. He actually had some pretty big scoring games at the end of the last year. He's shown his ability to shoot the three off the drill, which is promising. Not not a guy I think of still as a top two offensive player, but he's made some developments at, at Hawks University. And they got John Collins, and it's really like, that's pretty much it for this team in the long term they got Torian Prince and John Collins <laughs> are the only two guys that I'm really looking at uh as pieces for them going forward and even John Collins you know I'm not sure we talked about him on the pod with the young prospects you know I'm not sure that he's really because he has a lot of the same limitations as Bagley where he's more of a center on, on offense and kind of a power forward on defense but doesn't really you know switch well enough to be a power forward doesn't protect the room well enough to be a center so i'm not even sure that collins you know collins is more i think kind of like a nice backup big most likely uh, on a really good team so at least it's nice they can go pretty much any direction here now they can and the hawks have draft assets beyond the third pick they also have 19 30 and 34 they could combine those if they want to they could do that but another option theoretically i this all depends on how travis schlank's board is set up is they could theoretically move down if they had a lot of teams in the same area and somebody who else who really likes somebody. And that, that's more on the assumption that Aiton and Doncic go 1-2. If Doncic falls to them, then it might even be cleaner because there might be a team somewhere between, let's say, 4 and 6, 7, because then it takes a lot more assets to jump from like 8 or like that all the way up. But that could be an option as well. It just depends on how you do that. Like the most prominent example of that recently was Danny Ainge. You know, Ainge didn't see the margin between Fultz and 
Tatum, at least for the Celtics, maybe overall. And so that worked out really well for them. They got the the Kings pick next year is what they're going to get out of that. So the Hawks probably won't get that kind of return, but they could consider it. The other big concern or just structural challenge is for the Hawks is they have money but they don't have much in the way of expiring contracts for 2019. So they have somewhere between 23 and 34 million in space this upcoming year, depending on what happens with player options for Deadman and Mascala. But because they're paying 45 million combined to Bazemore, Schroeder, and Miles Plumley for each of the next two seasons, then Schroeder has a third year after that, they just don't clear a bunch of space. So that is a challenge for them. There are ways to use that to their advantage, but what that means is they have to approach this offseason as being part of a larger whole, whether that is in terms of spending, you know, cap space offer sheets or whatever they're going to do, or acquiring contracts. And that actually, to me, opens the door for something that I think would be very important, which is they could be one of the few teams willing to take on two remaining years of contracts, which are a lot of those bad 2016 deals. Yeah. And with Kent Bazemore, a guy who can still play, he actually had a little bit of, of a bounce back year last season, shooting 39% from downtown, average 13 a game. In a slightly smaller role, Bazemore last year was his age 28 season. So I think, you know, for he's owed 18 and 19 million each of the next two years. He has that player option, which uh, eh, might opt into. That was more muted because Bazemore can still play at least a little bit. But yeah, I think it could be one of these things where, you know, you trade Bazemore for one of these terrible 2016 deals that are right in that same kind of range, you know, a Biombo, uh, Mahinmi, uh, uh, Bazemore, I think, would be a pretty nice fit in Portland as well. The the, the sl- problem with Bazemore is a little bit too slight, although he has the big wingspan to guard threes. But he's still a better option on threes than a lot of the guys that some of these teams have. And then, you know, you, you hope to pick up an asset. Now, I don't know from Atlanta's perspective, is getting a middling first rounder, is that enough to take on just the straight up dead money of a Mahinmi or a Evan Turner or a Myers Leonard or a Luol Dang or you know, something like that. And maybe not, you know, maybe you have to even throw in more than that. Maybe two first round picks is a little bit too much, but it's, uh, it's a tough call. They're just exactly what the price would be, but it, it really, it wouldn't make much sense to hold on to Bazemore. Like some sort of a deal like that, I think needs to be made here. Um, and even if that's only, you know, a decent first round pick, I mean, maybe you, you could even take the approach of like reverse protecting it, you know, to make sure it's not in the bottom 20, uh, and Bazemore has some some dead money attached to him as well. I mean, that's maybe another way to look at it is like if you see Bazemore as a $10 million a year player and you trade him for a guy who's like $17 million and almost totally dead money, now you're taking on $14 million dead money, sort of the, you know, Alan Crabb, Andrew Nicholson type of calculus there. You know, maybe a first rounder is enough uh, to get, get back for him. What do you think of all that? I think that that's about the right process. The biggest challenge for Atlanta in that circumstance is going to be what teams are so desperate to do it because, you know, maybe the Wizards are just because of the luxury tax bill. They don't have great assets. That's a concern. I mean, maybe they could try to get, instead of getting a first round pick, if they have more interest in Kelly Oubre and just seeing what he could do, there are other, other ways to make that work. But for example, the Knicks with Noah, would the Knicks love to dump Noah? Yes. Will they give up a good draft asset to do so? Probably yeah. not. Well, they know and they're going to suck this teams. year. So I mean, it, was, it would have to be a team that's more interested. Right, but in a lot of right a now. lot of teams are actually 
in in those conversations, you know, where they're going to go through it, or their teams that are that are limited, like maybe like Milwaukee, for example, they still owe that first round pick to Phoenix. That gets complicated. I'm sure they would love to dump some of their bad contracts, like Henson or whoever else. But and actually, baseball would be pretty interesting on their team. I don't think it'd be a perfect fit, but it'd be interesting at least. And like OKC, you know, I'm sure they would. There, there's money that they would love to dump. All, all, all those kind of teams, but. There's no just like, okay, we need to clear this space because we're getting like LeBron or something like that. You know, the the clear impetus for all that. There will be next year or maybe even at the trade deadline once these, if the asking price goes down a little bit. But so what I would probably do as Atlanta is you ask for the moon. If anybody gives it to you, great. And if not, then you just kind of go, okay, well, where is the threshold? Like the kind of dollar per pick conversion, however you want to see it to that, that, that what's the best one that we get. And then you can make that decision. They could also, I mean, remember last year they got a late first round pick and ended up being 30. We didn't know how good the Rockets were going to be for basically taking on one year of Jamal Crawford because Jamal Crawford's contract only counts a couple million for the 1819 season. That's almost off the books now. And you know, if, if it's the difference is between 30 and 20 for like a one year for a one year take on, I would rather take on the one year deal. The player options for Deadman and Mescala, you mentioned those 6.3 million for Deadman. It wouldn't shock me if he opted out. I think he's kind of been optimistic about these things especially with some of that range that he showed you could see him maybe approaching something around that you know there is not a lot of rim protection on the market this year Muscala I see it with that five million dollar player option almost certain to opt in I would say um they also have Malcolm Delaney who's a restricted free agent I would guess he probably will not get a qualifying offer from them he made 2.5 last year so his qualifying offer would be 125 percent of that so i don't think they want to offer him a guaranteed contract for over three million dollars this year they also have a few non-guaranteed decisions uh, isaiah taylor his guarantee date uh are actually thirty thousand guarantees as of the day after the draft and then the full guarantee is july 27th i would see them you know that's kind of hit or miss there uh, you could see them waving him and then maybe bringing him back. So he, he showed some OK promise as a backup point guard last year. Um, and then they've got Antonius Cleveland and Jalen Morris. Those guys are, are non-guaranteed as well. Uh, Damian Lee. I mean, th- those are guys who are all kind of flyers, you know, back in the, in the Sam Hinkie, Philly kind of mode, although they don't have the same type of contracts as, as they had. But just guys who are young and have a skill or two and maybe they kind of work out but nobody who i think you know if they need to make a trade or something they could be trade filler potentially going back although they obviously would have to be guaranteed to do that so probably you know uh, some of those guys if they have early guarantee dates i don't necessarily see them making it but i don't think any of them are like so in the team's plans right now Another idea that I was thinking about for the Hawks was, would they be interested in using their cap space on free agents? This is a year where teams' money is going to go a lot further because so few teams have space. And for me, just because this team isn't going to be good for a while, you focus more on the young guys. Typically, those are offer sheet players. So the ones I thought of as kind of a a trio of different pitches, Julius Randle, not a perfect fit, but just like, hey, he's good if we can get him at a reasonable price, depending on what goes on with the Lakers. Dante Exum, just a flyer, he'd have talented player could maybe figure it out there and Patrick McCaw who Schlenk is familiar with as an executive with the Warriors and the price point you know maybe maybe you're making the Warriors sweat it a little bit you see something untapped in him and that's that would be an option as well they could also go for higher profile guys theoretically they could be the offer sheet team for Jokic or for Capella just because while those guys aren't on the right timetable necessarily for the Hawks they're so good that you just take that gamble should you have the opportunity yeah also worth doing I mean the, the, with these picks that they have 
they got four picks in the top 34 so that's going to take up a lot of their roster spaces uh, right away uh, my anticipation would be other than maybe going the restricted free agent route that they are not going to be as active in free agency i think that their experience last year with deadman muscala ursanilia sova bellinelli who was in the last year of his deal they weren't really able to get anything for those guys at the trade deadline and so the idea of like okay we'll sign these guys to value contracts and then we can trade them and you know it didn't really seem like it worked that well so maybe they're better off just instead of trying to sign guys and trade them and then also you know they're going to want to be there's no danger of them really i think getting out of like the zone where they'll have a decent chance of the number one pick under the new new rules but there's kind of no reason to really bring those guys in i mean they probably need like one good vet to bring in but you know that can be kind of more of a minimum guy you know old head jason terry type of guy i don't know if it has to be someone who's getting significant assets and then by taking on money you know it's just a question of what the price is i mean i think i anticipate if deadman opts out they'll have around 25 million in space they're guaranteed to have at least 20 million no matter what they do so i think my number one option and we saw this again with the kings last year too right i mean they signed all these vets where you could say ah maybe they could trade these guys but now they're just stuck with mon shumpert's dead money and vince carter did nothing for them except help them win games last year so uh to the small extent that he did so i think certainly your best option is explore the trade market if you can get a first round pick for taking on bad money there uh i think you should probably do it if it's two years of bad money for 20 million and eh, you know maybe that's a little bit much you, you need something more than just a first rounder but even if that's all you can get and it's a decent one maybe you just swallow hard and do it just because what else are you doing with that money at this point Th- this team is so far away right now from any sort of contention i mean 2019 they're they don't have much on the books but they also would have to you know there's going to be a lot more competition in the free agent market in 2019 so it seems unlikely they could get anyone there so you might as well lock up your money through 2020 and uh try to get whatever assets you can we've talked about him a few times just in passing but i think it's going to be very hard to find a trade partner for dennis Schroeder. the biggest concern is that it's three more years and even though he's on the young side it's just you know 15.5 million flat for three years is a lot of a commitment for a guy who is probably in the bottom five bottom 10 starting point guards in the league and so i don't see a team that's sitting there going that's what's holding us back and those are those are who you'd be looking for and and that he is the answer and that you're willing to commit that kind of salary like there are teams that shooter could help to be sure but i don't see i don't see like the kind of filler unless they're willing to take on bad money in that deal and so then they you know like if if you take on 20 million let's say and bad money on that contract well then you know shooter looks a lot better that acquiring team maybe you can get a better asset there and the comparison that i made this is just kind of overall in the hawks hawks thing this is shooter and not is what brooklyn did to get d'angelo russell so in that deal not only did they give up players of value but they also took back Mozgov's horrible contract. So if they can kind of coalesce all of these different kind of pseudo assets into one thing, maybe Schroeder's a part of that, maybe he's not, but it's a possibility worth considering. Yeah, I think Schroeder also doesn't have the best reputation in the locker room, which I think makes him a more difficult sell. Because you, Oh, yeah. by the way, did I wonder if Budenholzer negotiated a clause in his contract considering those statements were already out there that if if they trade for if they trade for Schroeder that he gets like more money or can opt out or something like that? <laughs> oh, at the Bucks, yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty funny. Oh man, uh, but yeah, I, I think the Schroeder for bad contract and you know Schroeder could maybe might be better cast as like a twenty five minute a game guy 
if you have a team that doesn't really you know have the greatest point guard as well it, it could work out potentially you need someone who can run pick and roll and shooter took some steps forward with his shooting last year that maybe you know he could be traded for some bad money as well god they would just have nothing at point guard for next year though it, it also depends just like how far down the well like wrestler really wants to go here schlenk really wants to go in terms of you know being bad i mean maybe they just want to keep shooter around because he's he can help them get to 27 wins instead of 17 not that he's a 10 win player but you know what i mean yeah but and also with the current lottery reform i mean that could be fine for them yeah just to like not be an embarrassment that that's not worth anything to me but (laughs) but that might be worth something to them uh anything else on these guys before we wrap it up here Oh, I wanted to ask you, would you be willing to roll the dice on like an offer sheet for like Aaron Gordon or Jabari Parker? I thought that, you know, Capella and Jokic are so good that I think you do it. But I, I would say Gordon and Jabari, it's just not worth it for them. Uh, no, I think they're the right team to do it for uh, for either of those guys, frankly. I mean, they just have no, so little available. And, and I mean, and at the worst, you just like take away somebody else's cap space for, for later. Um, but you know, Jabari has enough upside to me that, Hey, why not? You know, and he's also a guy who might sell some tickets if he really starts going off. Uh, uh it doesn't matter that he doesn't play any defense cause your team's not any good anyway right now. Uh, no, I, I would certainly consider it for either of those guys, maybe Jabari, because you know, Jabari is a guy you can hit on. This is the type of organization that they don't have any stakes. You know, we talked about in the Bucks preview how, you know, it's really Jabari is not at the same point of this Bucks team that needs to win. You know, they can't take a risk on him. They need to have a little bit more certainty in terms of the production. Well, Atlanta, they don't, all right, it doesn't work out. Fine. You cost yourself what, like some mid first round pick you're going to get with that money. Uh, so why not do it? And then at least you put the Bucks into a difficult situation. Cause I, I mean, and Jabari could turn out to be an awesome score for you. You know, I mean, it, even if there's only a 25% chance of that, uh, maybe you give it a shot uh now do i want to go four years at 25 million a year i mean not but um you know certainly i i would think about it depending on what the price is i, I think that's that this team maybe more than any other team that we're talking about right now even like you know a phoenix or something phoenix has been in the doldrums for so long like this is a team that really it, it would totally uh, maybe make more sense for than just about anyone else because the stakes are so low so why not swing for the fences and they'll have a pretty damn good idea what the asking price is going to be on their cap space before any restricted offer needs to be made so maybe they maybe Maybe that that your calibration will be right if it's like we're giving up the 20th pick to try to get Jabari and presumably if the if the Bucks match that deal then they have that opportunity anyway you know they're only getting themselves the opportunity to theoretically get matched at, at you know but you don't want to get a bad contract but I think with those guys you could make it work all right well that'll do it for today we'll be back tomorrow with more awesome dunk dunk content don't know what it is yet but it'll be something <laughs> so we'll uh look forward to talking to y'all then anything you need to talk about before we go today Oh, the off-season preview I wrote for the Hawks is up at The Athletic, if you want that kind of angle on it. A lot of similar topics, of course. That real GM piece on draft prospects. And since we have time without NBA Finals games, I should have the Danny Storytime done for that one by the end of the day today. That's So that's Patreon. It's the director's cut version of it. So I'm going to explain like how I analyze prospects, what I'm looking for. I might do it in the context of Marvin Bagley. I might not. I haven't decided yet. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Till then.